Welcome to Mindfully Healing, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Micheline Malouf, a trauma-informed and trained therapist. And I'm Nadia Desi, a registered social worker and psychotherapist. We are here to guide you through the connection between your mind and body to help you develop a deeper understanding of yourself. Join us on each episode as we navigate each topic by posing questions to our mind and then having deep conversations with each other, ourselves, and special guests to help us come full circle and answer each question. This season, we discuss trauma, trauma responses, attachment, and relationships. In each episode, we provide you with resources and tools to begin to heal your inner child, set boundaries, and help you along your journey of healing. Dear mind, what's my attachment style and how is it impacting my relationships? Today, we're here with the amazing Patricia Lamas, who is one of uh, TikTok and Instagram's mental health influencers talking about relationships and attachment styles. And this has been a hot topic lately. And she is definitely someone you want to talk to when you're talking about attachment styles. So welcome, Patricia. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. <laughs> I'm excited. I think I told you this is my first uh, podcast interview, so I'm very excited to be here with the two of you. And we're excited to have you here. So let's get like right in to attachment. So can you explain to us what attachment styles are, and then we can go in and break them up and explain to our listeners what they are? Yeah, so attachment theory is all about connection, how we contact and connect with others, connection uh, through self, body, and mind. Um, and really what it is, is about, it, it doesn't have to do with love. I think most people think it attachment theory has to do with love itself. In reality, it has nothing to do with love, right? Like I can love somebody, but still have responses to them. And so I think what it is about is um, protection, security, safety, right? So um, a feeling of safety and security will create um, a different form of attachment styles. So it is the way that we uh, connect with others. Um, and I really like, I would like to start with this quote by Dev Donna, which is super um, good. So she says, in a state of protection, survival becomes the only goal. Uh, and in a state of connection, health grows and uh, growth and restoration are possible. Um, so I think that that's really where uh, attachment styles come to play. It's just, you know, in deep relationships, how are we able to feel uh, close and connected to a partner, right? And so these are developed during childhood and depending on our primary caregivers and how they provided love, security, uh, and safety to us, that will impact how we provide love uh, and receive love in the future. So we're looking for connection and safety is basically the reasoning we develop as one of the types of attachment. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I think that as humans, we, uh, you know, we, I always say we're wired for connection, but we're also wired for survival. Right. And mm -hmm. so depending on how uh, our parents, especially, or our caregivers doesn't have to be a parent. Maybe my caregiver was somebody outside of a parent. Um, 
however they made me feel safe uh, and secure in childhood if they did a good job at being consistent being present uh, soothing me but also giving me individuality and um, and an ability to connect with myself then that will impact how um, I'm able to connect with others right it, it is a lot of you know trauma uh, mm-hmm. work also because you know if depending on how safe we feel with ourselves, our body and others, then that also determines how we connect with others. So generally, as an overview, our parents' parenting style impacts our attachment style or totally leads into our attachment style. Yes, 100%. So can what you talk about the different attachment styles? Yeah, we can talk about the different attachment styles. Okay. So there is there are four attachment styles, okay? So there is anxious ambivalent attachment, um, which some people um, call anxious preoccupied. Um, and then there is anxious avoidant. And then there's disorganized. Um, and then there is secure attachment. So there's those four attachment styles. Um, there are different names out there for them, but that's how I like to refer them to, to them. Uh, I really like, and maybe I'll give a shout out to my mentor, Stan Tatkin, who is the creator of um, the biopsychological approach to couples therapy. And the way that Stan has um, named attachment styles, which I think is really helpful, is uh, he has made it so that it may be a little easier to understand. So he calls anxious attachment the wave. Um, he calls avoidant attachment the island. Uh, he calls secure attachment um, the anchor. Uh, and then I have a friend who came up with uh, disorganized attachment analogy because Stan never came up with it for some reason. I've never asked him why, uh, but she came up with the, a ship, like the back and forth, you know, uh, because they're always in between the avoidance uh, and the anxious. So that's a nice way to to kind of understand it easily and just remember the by images because some some of us work well through that. Okay, so, so let's start with a anxious, little rundown. The anxious, uh, the first one you mentioned was um, anxious. Anxious, of, let's just say anxious. anxious. Okay, just anxious anxious. attachment. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? So do you want to know how it develops in let's, general? Let's start okay. there. Yeah. Uh, so when, how attachment, how your, uh, how your anxious attachment is developed in childhood is when a baby is in distress Um Parents can be very loving um, and it really depends on how your parent responded to you overall. And this does not mean that parents have to be perfect. It just means that we would like for uh, 40% of the time for parents to be responsive, present, um, soothing to their children, right? Uh, I want to reassure everybody that we're not asking for perfection. That's not all we're asking for, right? But 40%. um, Yes. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Some people even argue less, uh, that as long as we have 20% presence, then we can develop some secure attachment, which is the goal, ideally, okay? Um, And I'll explain a little more about that. So when the baby was in distress, this baby, um, how did the parents respond to them, right? That's how we we developed this attachment. Uh, So parents might've been inconsistent. So baby might've received a lot of mixed messages, right? So many times parent is available to them. Uh, They are soothing, they're emotional, 
but sometimes they might have not been there. So it becomes very confusing for baby. Like, are you there for me or are you not? Uh, am I going to be dropped this time or am I going to be held? Right. Um, so there's a lot of that inconsistency back and forth. And so parent may have been depressed, preoccupied by their own anxiety unrelated to children, uh, or they may have been anxious. A lot of the times we see that also. A lot of times we also see parents that expected their children to need and want closeness towards them and to take care of their own emotions, but may feel overwhelmed when depending on them emotionally. So it's kind of like a I want you, but I don't. I want you, but I don't. So the ch these children tend to sometimes be parentified. Sometimes they may feel wanted and needed, like I, sell, I said, and then sometimes they may feel burdensome to parents. Children a lot of times are rewarded for being young and cute uh, and discouraged from being independent. So many times these children will become too dependent on others because they're almost not taught to be independent uh, and be on their own. Right. So they will get a lot of closeness, uh, but at the same time, not always consistently. Okay. They can be unpredictable and inconsistent, like I said. Uh, and there's insufficient co regulation. So, co regulation is. When a parent, let's say, like when we look at our baby and we put our baby in front in front of us, right? Generally, you see a parent grabbing a baby uh, and soothing them by what? Like you look at their face and you're like, oh, you're so cute, la la la. Like, don't cry, right? Calm down, it's okay, right? Um, so the eye to eye, face to face touch is soothing to the baby and it calms them down, right? So that's co-regulation, the ability for a parent to soothe the baby, and that's actually how we learn self-regulation. That's how we we learn to regulate our own nervous system is through our parents, right? And through co-regulation, through regulating through our parents, okay? Um, and so that's a little bit of a rundown of how we would get a anxious attachment. So, so when there's just to kind of clarify that when there's an inconsistency in those going back and like regulating co-regulating with a parent when there's inconsistencies in the attention that you're giving mm -hmm. uh, the child so it's more of like there's inconsistencies and that will lead to an anxious attachment yeah sometimes for the child it's it, it feels unpredictable it feels like mom is let's say mom uh, mom's very good at soothing me a lot of the times and she has my back but then other times she's really not there or or she yells at me or you know uh she makes it about herself right about her feelings and it's not so much about my feelings right so there's a lot of inconsistencies it kind of sometimes can feel like you're walking on eggshells as a baby okay so the child doesn't know which mom they're gonna get yes exactly okay. it's a little unpredictable okay. um and, and generally it's not you know uh, it's not considered abusive unpredictability, right? I kind of want to clarify that. Um, it would be, you know, like a parent who's very anxious or maybe they're always working or consistently, um, you know, not there for the kid. So that could also impact for sure. How does this type of parenting and um, this type of attachment show up in our adult lives and like relationships? So how it can show up in relationships as adult. Um, this adult tends to be a little anxious and it, you know, it doesn't mean that they have anxiety, but they do tend to run anxious, especially when they feel threat uh, in a fight, in a fight, flight, freeze, fun response, they'll tend to run uh, to fight or flee 
um, depending on the situation. But most of the time, they will fight. They do seek to um, to figure out what's happening, what's going on. I want to talk. I want to solve it. I want to, you know, um, bend to you. Uh, I want to be heard. Right. So these people generally are actually pretty emotionally. <clears throat> they appear emotionally available. They appear like they're very in tune with their emotions. Parents were never like emotions. They weren't necessarily like emotions are bad. Their parents were pro probably pretty emotional, at least one of them. It only takes one parent, okay, or one caregiver to have this, this strategy, okay? Um, and so there, there's that push and pull. And there's this um, need for closure and for close for closeness, uh, and there is a need to be felt, to be soothed, to be seen, right? And so these people, what happens because there was so many inconsistencies, um, their style of self-soothing is external, um, external regulation, right? So how they regulate is through others, and so what that means is. When I, in a relationship, feel some form of insecurity, um, I am going to lean on you for that concern, right? I'm not going to deal with it on my own and withdraw uh, because I can't. I don't know how. I haven't learned very well how to self-soothe and self-regulate. And so I am going to lean on you and come to you with my concern, right? So a lot of the times they can come across as very needy. Uh, a little passive aggressive, um, pessimistic a lot of the times because they expect to be dropped, right? Um, they're not sure if you'll be there or not. They can't trust that you'll be there, right? Sometimes they have trust issues. Um, and so their major trauma is, you know, they feel like they will be abandoned. You know, you were never there for me fully. You were there, but you weren't. So I'm afraid I'm going to be left. I'm afraid I expect to be dropped by you. Right. So the only way I know how to deal with that is by uh, running towards you and having you soothe me. Right. So um, these people generally, if somebody, you know, becomes angry with them uh they will not run away but say but why like love me need me right um and they they need a lot of reassurance they need a lot of like uh attention in those moments of uh of when they're heightened right? would you would they apologize for things they didn't do in order to keep yes. the partner from abandoning them yeah yeah i think that we can also see some fawning Mm, with these yeah. individuals for sure how, how do their boundaries look oh i i would say we don't have boundaries i include myself because i'm <laughs> I, I have a i i think i have developed a pretty secure attachment with with my current partner which thankfully we can do but i think deep down i have an anxious attachment uh so for those of you out there that have it it's definitely you know i, I do know, i know the feeling yeah I, I think my, my whole life I, I resonated with that because i was the person that was just like no don't be mad at me we got to talk about this like let's fix this whole thing like it's fine yes. and like a fear of abandonment and like if they don't call my mind's like oh let me call them and yep. um uh, they're they're you know like they they really do stick to like it's like you tunnel vision into mm -hmm. i have to fix this problem now yeah. why because i can't soothe on my own i need you 
Mm-hmm. I need you to, to self-soothe with me. Like I need co-regulation, but it's not co-regulation. It's actually one-sided regulation mm-hmm. from the other person, right? So it's not very interactive. Mm-hmm. And that's why people get really frustrated because it's like, no, you don't really need me. You need me because you can't do it yourself. I okay? see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Uh, I think anxious is one that a lot of people can resonate with. I think I heard somewhere, and I don't know how true this is. I'm curious to know if you know, um, are most, I heard that most women tend to relate to the anxious attachment and most men avoidant, which we'll talk about in a minute. Is this true? I don't believe it's true. I, I think that yes, culturally speaking, there's something there. This is not a cultural phenomenon, but it can be in some ways, right? Like really deep down, it's about fam- family, um, and how you were provided love. But I think culture can play a role to some extent. I think that people tend to think women and female uh, females are anxious because that's just how, you know, we're, we're told it's okay to have emotions and be emotional, like uh, in some ways, but also emotions are bad because how dare we be so emotional. And I think that those feminine characteristics are associated with the anxious attachment more and then I think men in general are told you know be a macho like don't show emotion um you know if you have emotions how could you and so that goes more with the avoidant attachment but I would like to say that I've met a lot of uh, a lot of avoidant women and I've met a lot of anxious men okay so that was anxious attachment what's Mm -hmm. the next attachment style before we go on though I do want to say something that a lot of people don't talk about uh, regarding attachment so Uh, When it comes to anxious attachment, um, the anxious individual has a hard time transitioning from together time to alone time, right? So they strive and they do really well with people, right? Um, But then when you leave them, it's really difficult. So a lot of the times you may see or notice that a lot of people who have an anxious attachment may cause arguments or it may appear as they cause arguments when they're going to bed uh when they are Hmm. leaving or when somebody's leaving the home uh so those transitions um their endings so anxious people anxiously attached individuals don't do well with transitional endings because whenever you're going to leave um my fear of abandonment gets triggered um so that that's one thing that's really interesting to note um but they do seek so much proximity I can, I can relate to that a lot. Um, Growing up now, I, like you said, with your partner, now you have a secure attachment. I feel I have a secure attachment with my husband now. Um, But in the past, I remember specifically, like when I would be dating someone and, and like, it was time to separate and go home. I would get so anxious that, yeah, they were going to leave or abandon me, especially if I really like the person. So I can resonate with that a lot. And Nadia, something you said that like, I'm still like, okay, wow. Cause Nadia has been very open. You've been very open about being anxious in general and like having anxiety. And then you say, but I don't have an anxious attachment style. So that's really interesting to me how that can, that can be like in certain situations. I wonder why that is. Because they're not the same thing. Okay. So you can have an anxious attachment and this is just how you attach in relationships, but you don't, you don't necessarily have to have an anxious attachment if you're just prone to anxiety in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
cool. A lot of times, they, I, I would say that there there might be a correlation. Um, you know, the two ha- to that when you grow around that inconsistency, mm-hmm. your nervous system probably feels that inconsistency, so you are likely to develop anxiety disorders. Um, but I think that it's not causation, you know, like it, it, it is separate to an extent. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing that I would like to mention that we haven't mentioned yet is that both parties are anxious. So it, even though the name is anxious, um, anxious and avoidant, avoidant individuals are actually more anxious. Like mm-hmm. when we look at brain scans, uh, we actually see that the avoidant individual has more anxiety and is under more distress than the anxious individual. I was just going to ask that because I'm wondering if the avoidant is this like avoidance that we do in anxiety, like mm-hmm. general anxiety as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go into that. So avoid an attachment. Okay. So let's talk about avoidant baby, right? Mm-hmm. So we want parent to be <clears throat> present, soothing, consistent, uh, available, um, and to, to, to be, um, uh, we want to be able to, to know what parent is doing. Right. Um, and so when baby was in this trans in distress, and this only takes one caregiver, it doesn't have to be the two of them. Right. Or if there's three, however many, it only takes one, um, help may not have been available. So whereas the anxious avoidant or the anxious attachment is harder to explain because there can be so many inconsistencies, uh, the avoidant attachment, the parent is easier to understand. They're very consistent. Uh, they're consistent in that they're not available. And, and I mean, sometimes maybe they're available in their own way, right? Uh, of course, they may be emotionally available, but one parent was usually emotionally shut down. Um, parenting may have been neglectful to some extent. Uh, parent put great emphasis on child's performance, discouraged dependency, neediness, emotional expression, highly values autonomy. Um, so a lot of the times, you know, this is a baby that, you know, may have been crying and parent was nowhere to be found. So baby learns like, I have to deal with this on my own. I have to learn how to soothe myself, right? I can't rely on you to soothe me consistently. Um, parents tend to be intolerant of neediness, conflict, challenge, uh, failures often experienced as shameful. Um, parents expect children to play by themselves and soothe themselves. So a lot of the times there's, like I said, a lot of independence. Um, parents can be dismissive, critical, withdrawn, or angry, uh, and leaning on others is seen as weakness, right? So, uh, I want to talk about the bachelor so bad, but I know yes, I go for it. <laughs> I mean, for whoever has seen The Bachelor, just a very clear example of this is when Katie goes to her hometown uh, and her mom and aunt are like, we don't depend on others. We uh, don't let anybody in. We do it ourselves. Uh, We do not rely on a male. Right. Uh, And that's kind of the dynamic of the family, you know. Um, And so those messages are extremely strong and they stay for children for sure. So uh, what I would say is, you know, parents tend to be a little more not in tune with their emotions. They may be seen as cold or less emotional. And so, yeah, that's what I would say about that. 
I'm curious if there's any research that you know of that relates like birth order to attachment style, because I'm thinking of like that I connect to a lot of these things, but the way I'm justifying it in my head is because I was a third child and my mom and dad were really busy with the other. Well, my dad was working all the time, but my mom was really busy with the other two. So I did have to self-soothe. I did have to play alone and all these things make sense. I don't know if that's obviously unique and relative to me, but it'd be interesting to see if there is. Uh, I do think there's research out there. If I, I can do a little bit of a deep dive and if I find any, I can send it to you guys so you can post it. Um, but I do know like it's not just you. I, I see that a lot with clients um, and especially I see it in my family too. You know, like I have an anxious attachment. My sister has an avoidant attachment. Uh, and why does she have an avoidant attachment? Because her circumstances, even though we had the same parents, were very yeah. different, right? My parents were divorced. Um I had a lot of presence, but not consistent presence. And my dad uh, was not present in her life at all um, early on. And so it was a very different dynamic with the same parents, right? So yeah, the circumstances change depending on where you are in the birth order, things may change, right? And I think as time goes on, parents get a little more like lazy let it go right and so we may develop more of an avoidant uh attachment and that was the baby um like how the baby develops a human develops an avoidant Mm -hmm. attachment style and you said they're both anxious but one is anxious avoidant is that is that Mm -hmm. right that i understand Mm -hmm. correctly okay Mm -hmm. so then um how does that the avoidant um attachment style show up in adulthood relationships uh yeah (laughs) so they are very focused on alone time and me 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 right individuality um they value independence over connection many times uh they can value connection too but i think when it comes down to it right my individuality my sense of autonomy is more important than connection because that is what i can lean on that's what i can rely on right i couldn't rely on anybody this is a protective mechanism right like I couldn't rely on others when I was a, ch- a child and nobody was there emotionally for me. What are emotions? So I'm going to drop them and really like bury them deep down um, so that they don't bother me. They're not that important. And now I'm really going to just know how to take care of me because that's what I had to do my whole life. Right. Um, settles nervous system by detaching and often into alone time. It's called auto regulation. So like opposite of the anxious attached individual they'll do auto regulation so they'll seek like they'll leave right they'll withdraw themselves and just cocoon and uh go into their um cave and and do their thing uh a lot of the times they don't want to talk about it right they're very quick and that's it um and they regulate they, they're not good at self-regulating. This is the difference, right? Self-regulation, I want you to think of self-regulation as a mature adult strategy that we're supposed to have. We're supposed to develop the ability to really like have control over our emotions and like soothe ourselves and our nervous system uh, by ourselves, right? And what they tend to do is a lot of the times they rely on something else, but not somebody else to regulate. So you'll see these individuals with like, you know, a lot of sometimes addiction, um, you know, phone going on their phone, uh, relying on drugs, uh, TV, you know, mindless exercises or distractions or the gym, right? Things that 
maybe healthy to to an extent, but most of the time they may sometimes overdo it uh, because they have a hard time actually regulating. So they rely on something outside of themselves to regulate, but usually alone by themselves, right? So that's the difference. Um, deep down, they may believe that they're too much. So they deny their own emotional experiences. Uh, they have low emotional expressiveness. A lot of the times you may see like, there's not a lot of like, um, emotions that they wear on their face, right? They're less uh, easy to read. Um, focus on self and needs. Uh, they believe they have a belief that a person if they if a person comes near them, they may want to take advantage of them. You want something from me. Uh, if you're not asking for without reciprocity, right, you're seeking something out of me. Uh, often private have secrets sometimes, which often can come across as deceptive or create betrayals. Um, they have a fear of losing themselves in relationship, right? Because of like that self-protection with autonomy. They're conflict avoidant, sometimes passive aggressive. Um, they prefer often to just forget uh, and instead of fight. A lot of the times we find that the anxious avoidant we like, or the avoidant individual, we like to say that um, my only my only complaint in therapy is that you are discontent, right? Like my only complaint is you're discontent because I'm good, everything is good, everything's dandy. I'm only uh, not happy because you're unhappy. You're the one that has the issues. You're the problem, not me. Like I'm good, right? I don't have a lot of, cons of complaints, right? Because they will often not share them. Um, and everything seems to be simpler for the avoidant individual than for the anxious individual. Uh, they are very shame-based. They tend to dissociate, um, and they avoid seeking help from others. And yeah, emotionality is looked down on and they're very big on just individuality. That's what I would say about that. And if this oh, is okay. not me to a T... <laughs> <laughs> like to a T. <laughs> what else were you going to say? I was going to say just to kind of tidy it up with the other one is that um, this is the opposite, right? They have an easy time going from together time to alone time and difficult time going from alone time to together time. So a lot of the times, let's talk about those fights that happen a lot of the times. Um, a lot of the times they don't like to be interrupted uh, because that's sudden like um, interaction and they don't like that, right? So a lot of the times you'll see an anxious individual with an avoidant individual uh, and they'll be, you know, let's say I'm anxious and Steve is avoidant and I'm going to say something to him and he's in the middle of work and I'm like hey honey how was your day oh my god let me give you a hug and uh and he's like what what the heck I was working right like he gets really offended because I interrupted him that's like such a terrible thing to do to an avoidant individual you cannot interrupt their individual time they don't do well with those uh, transitions mm -hmm. yeah wow I'm like I have a question I have a question because Nadia you're avoidant Right? right. My yeah. husband, I think, is avoidant. Do anxious seek out avoidant people? Is there like a, like a, oh, these two go together often? Because I'm wondering, I'm like, like, it, these are like relationships I have right now, right? And to, to have, and I know exactly what you're talking about with my husband, I find interrupt him and I have like my ADHD too. And like my anxieties, like if I think of something I'm texting you or I'm 
I'm, I'm like going to him or I'm calling like, it's like right away. Like I need it now because my brain will forget or like, it just won't happen. And then I get anxiety about it. I don't know. So is the, is there some sort of like these type of people seek out these type of people and connect with these type of people more than others? Um, well, we seek familiarity. We seek what we know. And you may think that it's, it doesn't make sense to seek the opposite of what you know. But a lot of the times, you know, if I'm anxious and I turn to an avoidant, um, I'm replaying in my head some form of trauma and I really want to complete it. I really want, you know, you weren't there for me consistently, but I really want you to be there for me consistently. So I'm seeking that consistency from you, even though you can't give it to me. And it's almost like addictive, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we each have the bite that fits our wound. Um, yeah, that's what Stan likes to say. I really like that quote. I like that. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we, we seek what we don't repair. Right. And so sometimes, um, I think we are playing those wounds with our partner and replaying those, uh, those things that we needed in childhood that we didn't receive. Right. So the anxious individual is really like seeking love, affection, attention, right. And like for, for it to be for, for somebody to respond differently, um, even though they're getting the opposite from somebody who's avoidant. Mm, okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can also see how an avoidant person, I'm just talking about my personal experience, is more can be considered more anxious because I'm very to myself because of the fear of rejection. So if I open up with you and then you reject me, my anxiety is going to increase. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. avoid all those emotions and that anxiety by being alone or I'm fearing abandonment or I'm fearing certain things based on childhood of course yeah I think deep down we all do fear that abandonment right like that's a fear that we all have because we we do seek connection but for the avoidant they really had to drop it down um and to to an extent where a lot of them are not even in tune with the feeling of I need connection I need um to feel you know, love from somebody. Um, sometimes they don't even feel that because it's so deeply pushed down because they couldn't get that in childhood. You know, so it really depends on the extent. It's also a continuum, right? So some people may be on the continuum of like extreme avoidance. Uh, and then some people may have avoidant with some, um, with some security, right? And so it is a, a spectrum. So what's the next one? So the next one we can touch on really quickly, it's disorganized. Um, Disorganized is very misunderstood and I would encourage nobody, I would encourage people to not diagnose themselves. Uh, Again, what I would like to say that I haven't said yet is that attachment styles are adaptations. Um, They are adaptations to certain aspects of childhood and you know how you received safety security um, they are not uh, personality disorders or personality types right so I think that this is a misunderstanding often of like oh I'm going to di- diagnose myself with this form of attachment right uh, they are not full-on personality disorders right there's these are just some responses that are predictable uh, when we feel fear and threat Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, and, and it's really, I think what's really helpful about attachment styles is that they can help us understand um, the way that we respond and the way that our partner responds. So, and it's predictable. So it gives us a, a print of 
this is who my partner is. This is the animal I'm with. So I understand that if they're anxious, they're more likely going to go towards seek this validation from me. And if they're avoidant, they're more likely going to withdraw, avoid, uh, self-soothe, right? Um, going to need their space, uh, their own autonomy, right? And that's just nothing personal. It's just a, uh, it's just a protective mechanism that they've developed over time. Um, and so I think that that's really important to mention. So the disorganized attachment um, is difficult because it, it comes about with a lot of um, trauma and safety issues. Um, and so I can't even really diagnose disorganized. I shouldn't. Uh, and, and it's again, it's not a diagnosis, but, you know, we, we do see like there is a whole, you know, method as to how we can measure this. Um, and there is a measuring, a measuring tool that some psychologists provide, and they're able to actually measure these very accurately. So if somebody suspects that they have a disorganized attachment, I would say that they should get that assessment from somebody who knows how to assess. Um, so I don't often throw it around because I think it can be damaging. Mm. So it's expressed through excessive fear because the attachment system is overwhelmed with uh, an instinct to survive threat. Um, so this organized attachment is where parents are the source of fear for the baby. It's not only they're not present or they're not consistently present. Uh, it's that they are fear. They create fear for the baby and lack of safety. Uh, children display confusing behaviors such as disoriented, days, confused, inconsistent, uh, trauma-related, like I said, excessive fear with parents, such as abrupt shifts in parents' mood. So the parent itself is the source of my fear, right? Like um, maybe parent is abusive, maybe parent um, is just constantly shifting moods, uh, very threatening like, and so my nervous system doesn't know what to do. Uh, and now you are the source of that fear. It's not something outside of you, it's you, right? Uh, parent may be afraid of their own child, may have unresolved trauma themselves. So a lot of the times if the parent themselves is carrying a lot of like, um, you know, trauma from their own childhood, they may project that onto their baby. Um, parents, sometimes we see parents that may have undergone serious medical procedures before childbirth. And so this may be, uh, this may seem as threat to the baby. Um, I think that's less often, but sometimes we do see that. Um, and the child is often labeled as the problem child. Sometimes they're the unwanted child child that should have never been born. Um, parents fail to control, regulate their own fear. Child is overreactive, impacts their nervous system. Um, it's just an extremely unpredictable environment. We're talking unsafe environment, okay? Um, now, this sounds like, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I question, this sounds like um, if a parent has like an undiagnosed severe mental health issue, yeah. Um, or like intense mental health issue, like I'm thinking when you said like, uh, shifts in like mood and unpredictability, I'm thinking maybe, um, something like even bipolar disorder that can have severe, uh, like major depressive episodes with manic episodes, the, those okay. large shifts, could that lead? Yeah. Um, and it's something that's like highly treatable. So it's rude. This is like the importance of like really taking care of our mental health because it can impact so much in our in our lives yeah. uh, especially with a diagnosis like uh, bipolar disorder 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, schizophrenia, personality disorders, I would say in general, um, yeah. can can cause something like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what did I want to say about the adult? So the adult, you know, a lot of us, these are, like I said, adaptations and they can, they go in a spectrum. So some of us, you know, like when you take an attachment, um, an attachment quiz, uh, you may have some things that are a little avoidant here and there, and then an anxious here and there, but you will most likely have one that stands out, right? So it's not perfect, but most of us respond in a very predictable manner, right? Uh, and we lean towards something in particular, right? Um, these individuals are just all over the place. Like they cannot be measured. <laughs> it's like uh, avoidant, anxious, no security though. That's definitely something you can measure. Most of the time they're just, it's very unpredictable. Like it would look very messy in a therapy session. Like I have no idea what you're doing. Sometimes you collapse. Sometimes you go towards, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how you're going to respond. So it's very unpredictable. Honestly, what, what it is, is that it, it is unpredictable, right? This person really wants love, connection. Um, so you'll see it a lot of the times where it's like, I go towards you, but then when I'm there, I withdraw um, and I decide not to. It's not comfortable to be so close, right? Um, and a lot of times when they're triggered, like I said, they may actually, you know, collapse um, emotionally and in their system, you can actually see the shutdown that occurs. Um, and so it's just, you know, if you have a partner who has gone through a lot of trauma and you just cannot pin them, um, that might be a sign that there is some disorganization. And disorganization may happen in certain areas too, like uh, certain moments that may trigger the individual. Um, and a lot of the times it does look like a freeze response, like confused child, like even regress regressing back to childhood, you know? Um, so it's, it's a, it's a really sad one and difficult one. Um, but you there, mentioned, you mentioned that they're like, we all have one predictable way of behavior. So are you saying that you can't have kind of two different types of attachment happening at the same time? You, you could, but I think we tend to lean more towards one in particular. Okay. Uh, like sometimes, you know, when, when somebody you know, it's almost like the, how we, you know, how we can go into fight, flight, freeze, fun, like all of us have the ability to go into the fight, uh, freeze, but most of the time you lean on one, it's mm -hmm. kind of like that, you know, okay. uh, so I think we all have the ability to respond in this way, but in it, uh, tendency is to go towards whatever fami is familiar to us. So disorganized attachment isn't like, cause I've I think this is like a misconception that's out there isn't like a, um, a mixture of avoidant and, and anxious. It's its own set. Um, I think, I think it is not necessarily a misconception. I think that it ha it can look like both. Mm -hmm. So, but I think it's more severe than people make it out to be. It comes from trauma. Um, yeah. some people just say I'm both and it's like, no, you're mm -hmm. more likely one or a little more of one and just have tendencies to be like the other, but it does not mean that you're disorganized. Exactly. Cause that's what I was uh, kind of getting at. Like when you were mentioning anxious, I definitely went like, yes, that's me. Um, and then when you were mentioning avoidant, I'm like, yeah, I have some traits of that as well, mm -hmm. but that doesn't make me disorganized attachment. That makes me right. anxious attachment with some avoidant 
traits tendencies. as well mm-hmm. or tendencies. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. That's a really important distinction yeah. because um, you're right. It's like hard because people will see that and then they'll start like mixing it up. And um, I guess, I guess would disorganized then be like this unpredictability of how you will behave in certain situations. Whereas like maybe yeah. an anxious person would go anxious attached person would go um, towards, like you said, the conflict to try to solve the problem while the avoidant will go um, to themselves to try to kind of regulate and solve that problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's predictable most of the time in most situations. Would the disorganized person then be unpredictable in terms of relationships and how they turn towards or away from Uh, yeah, the- like sometimes they may turn towards, sometimes they may turn away. Um, it, it's, and it's not it's kind of hard to predict. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The only other time when somebody might be unpredictable is if they have some form of deep personality disorder, like sometimes like narcissists or um, even sometimes borderline personality disorder. But I would say that they're also pretty predictable. Um so, you know, I like to say that the only people that can be predicted, although they can be predictable in their own way, are psychopaths, right? Like uh, psychopathy. Um, but other than that, I think we can all, like, it's, behavior can be extremely predictable. <laughs> Secure is what we want. I yeah. mean, uh, and let's talk about, I mean, look, we, it, it's not about changing our attachment. It's about understanding it and working with it. It's like what we say about acceptance and commitment therapy. We don't want to just ignore that it's there or push it away. We want to work through it with it, right? Like um, it's it's literally the same thing when it comes to attachment. Um, we shouldn't feel ashamed that we're avoidant. We should feel, feel ashamed that we are anxious. We should just understand ourselves and we should help our partner understand us so that they don't take it personal it's not personal right like when i withdraw um it's not personal when i go towards you it's not personal it's just a fearful response right it's a it's a protective mechanism that we've developed over time to protect ourselves like i said it's not about love right but we make it about love right um if i avoid you or if i avoid i'm avoiding you i'm not loving you right how could you not love me um and people just don't realize like it would be so much easier if they could just think this is just what my partner does to protect themselves to soothe themselves um, and then we can figure out ways around um, around it if we understand each other and why we're doing what we're doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so secure attachment. Um, so usually this baby receives consistent, uh, reliable attunement. Parents, and like I said, 40% of the time at most uh, is enough. Uh, parents did not need emotional regulation from the child. So most of the time they regulate the baby. There's no parentified child here. Most of the time babies, baby parents are parents. They're more able to, to soothe their own emotions, be present for their baby, right? And have those boundaries, healthy boundaries. Parents provided a good balance between autonomy versus dependency. I can lean on you, uh, you and you can lean, lean on yourself. Uh, and both are safe, right? I learned that it's okay to lean on others and it's okay to lean on myself, right? So it's a good balance between the two. Children are comfortable seeking reassurance from their parents, uh, no, shale, no shame or guilt focus. Parents have high expectations but provide support for the child to succeed. 
Um, parents are affectionate, verbal, empathetic. Children often are held, hugged, interacted with play. Uh, help is mostly available to them. They can co-regulate and um, they're taught through the parent how to self-soothe, right? Uh, like when the babies grab their soothe, they're held, their parent is uh, empathetic and available for the baby. Co-regulation and interactive regulation are taught through the parent. Like I said, child can feel relaxed in the presence of the parent. So it's predictable um, and they can just be babies. Um, and so this kind of sounds like, okay, so my parent was terrible. No, your parents probably, most of us, most of our parents did this some of the time, but maybe not enough uh, or not consistently enough, um, which how can you blame them? It's hard being a parent nowadays. I can only imagine. And so, you know, that's what I would say about the, the secure attached baby and how we form. And so what does that look like? Um, as an adult, it looks like I can be me and lean on you, but I'm also okay on my own, right? Um, I don't fear abandonment as much. Um, of course, I think we all do fear some form of being left, right? Uh, but it's not my constant worry and concern. Um, I'm not being overwhelmed or engulfed by a relationship. Uh, I'm more attuned to others and their needs, socially intelligent, eagerness to, to cooperate with others while still clear on their own personal boundaries. Uh, I think these people have an easier time setting boundaries too. Uh, I mean, the avoidant person also has too many boundaries, but these are healthier boundaries, right? Uh, they're more like, I can let you in, but I also know my limits, right? Um, they also obviously have feelings. They can get frustrated, angry, sad in relationships, but will likely be more relaxed and reciprocal uh, mm -hmm. with a partner. Um, and they're conf they have more confidence in themselves and trust in the relationship. And like I said, they're not perfect. We're all difficult people, uh, but in moments of fear or feelings of rejection when things get triggered they may respond uh, more what we would call maturely because they're able to self-regulate self-soothe um, and they just have an understand a good understanding of the truth mm -hmm. so that's what I would I would say okay so we're all we, we all wish we could have that like secure attachment I'm like oh that sounds nice like you know <laughs> about like you know but I think you know it's a good point Nadia asked this question earlier which was like how do you like how do you work towards more of that or can certain relationships like naturally lead you to that because of just the connection you have with that person or do you actually have to do something to kind of get to that place with a secure attachment um I think you can, I think what Stan, my mentor, what we do in PACT is that we aim to create secure functioning relationships. So not a secure individual necessarily, because we can't necessarily change your attachment style, but to create secure functioning relationships. So what that means is that my relationship itself, I've made predictable enough. We've made, we've made agreements that help us understand that what we expect from one another right like uh we've agreed that we're gonna be fair just um we're gonna have each other's back we're gonna you know we are gonna be interconnected uh which means i take care of me but i also take care of you and you take care of you but you also take care of me 
um, and we have this agreement that we are a, pers a two-person system and we work together. Um, but we also understand each other's responses, right? Like Stan likes to say, we, we understand the animal we're with. So I'm going to learn to understand that when you are triggered by me, um, that you may respond in this way that I don't understand and that it's not how I would respond at all. Uh, and that in itself will trigger me. But if I understand it and I learn to work with you, the animal that I'm with, um, and I understand you, then I can work with that because it's no longer about me, right? It's about me because I'm one, I'm a one person system. So all of us, when, when we're insecure, when we're um, avoidant, when we're uh, anxious, when we're disorganized, we are all uh, insecure based. So that means that we're working in a one person system. So what that means is that when it all comes down to it, we worry about ourselves, right? Um, the anxious individual likes to think that they're very in tune with emotions and very in tune with others' needs. But when they are put under the stress, they're also selfish because they are trying to get their agenda met. They're trying to get their feelings met, right? Like they're trying to push and shove uh, for their agenda to be, to be met. And so it's a one person system because when, when I'm feeling unsafe, I'm going to forget about you and what you need. And it's more about me. Mm. Right. Oh. And so two person system is when we are under the stress, I take care of you while taking care of myself. Mm. That sounds really hard. It's very hard. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned the word interdependence and one of the, um, one of the things that I learned early on with my own therapist, when I was kind of codependent with my husband's like health issues was she said, there's a difference between independence because this independence is like one person I'm assuming is that what you're saying, like this, like one per like, this is how it is. There's codependency, which is on the opposite end of the spectrum. And it's like all of my emotions, you know, have to do with your emotions. And then there's interdependence where it sounds like exactly what you're describing. It's that I am both part of you and, and on my own and, and kind of working towards this like link. She, she described it for those of you seeing it, like that don't see it, that are like listening on the podcast. I'm like linking two fingers together. Like, Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be backwards, but you can kind of get the idea. Yeah. Right? It's like two, like the Venn diagrams. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, when you are in a one-person system that is more avoidant, it's two circles that completely separate. They don't touch. Um, and so when it's codependent, um, I don't necessarily like that word. Mm -hmm. um, they're too close together to the point where there's no mm -hmm. air to breathe. There's not a lot of autonomy and individuality, mm -hmm. um, which is not good, right? If you are not an individual alone like at, at certain moments and you don't have autonomy then you cannot make your own decisions right and so uh, we don't want that <laughs> uh, we do want enough space for you to be autonomous to be an adult to be able to make your own decisions to to you know um, be in tune with what you're doing but interdependence is healthy because I still can take care of me. I'm my own individual and I take care of you. And, and then we form a we, right? But there's enough space for us to be ourselves too. 
Right. So that's what we really aim for because the complete separation, which I think is very American to the individualism, right? It's not healthy because that's not how we were. That's not how uh, naturally, biologically, how we're wired, right? We're wired for connection. There's actually a study in Harvard, the longest longitudinal study that's of all time um, that studies happiness and studies well-being. And they found that um, the greatest the, the greatest predictor of health is connection, right? Like connecting with others. And so we know that in order to survive well, uh, we do need each other. Wow. That's really powerful. I'm like reflecting on this. I'm like, oh, how can I make my whole connect more with everybody? <laughs> uh, and another thing that's helpful to remember is that we heal with each other right like there's this quote i can't i don't know if i'll remember it correctly but it's called it's we we are born in relationships we're wounded in relationships and we heal in relationships you just gave me chills i love that yeah and so we don't heal by ourselves unfortunately i mean of course like there's some individual development we can do but if you have this childhood wound uh that you carry with you that it's unmet right um even though your partner might drive you crazy if you if your partner understands like she just wants to feel like she matters or she just wants to feel like she is seen right and he manages to see me then he's able to heal that wound for me with me right um and so we can kind of heal certain wounds with each other um if we do it right so powerful. The power of validation and the power of just being seen uh, is if we, if we all just learn yeah. that and like, instead of like trying to fix another person's problems, but like, mm -hmm. it just goes to show how important it is. Like when somebody comes to you with an issue or a problem to just see it, listen, validate, because that's really all we're looking for. That gives us so much without the other person having to quote unquote, do so much. Yeah. I think we can do a whole other episode podcast yeah. on like, how do, so what do we do with this information? Right. Because yeah. there's just so much we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a huge misconception with a chat attachment style that you need to work against it and change it. Yeah. But this episode provided some clarification that you got to work through it and with it and together. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's more about understanding than changing. It's not about mm -hmm. changing your partner. Your partner's more likely not going to change. You change the relationship. You change the problem together. You change how you work on the problem, how you tackle it. Um, and you understand the animal you're with, right? Like you understand this is not personal. This is not about me or you. It's, it's about like safety and security, right? So we'll definitely have to have another episode on tips. Um, but can you give us like, if somebody is in a relationship right now with a partner that is with um, someone who's not from their attachment style, and they're kind of having those struggles that we discussed, what, what piece of advice can you give that person to start working on exactly what I said, like being with the um, person that you're with and working through it? Is there like a, a simple tip you can kind of to start us off? Um, I would say to, to figure out, I would say do some share locking. <laughs> so what we call share locking is like, um, uh, share locking. Am I saying Sherlock? 
like okay. like Sherlock Holmes, like yeah, the, like Sherlock Holmes, yeah, for sure okay. looking, yeah, yeah. So Stan calls Sherlock looking like getting to know your partner and just really understanding, like even like looking at a very micro level of like expression, like when I do this, this happens to my partner, or like when he's when he or they or her are mad what does that look like on their face what what's a telltale sign that they're gonna be angry right now what's uh what does it look like in their body um when they start to withdraw from me do they like get tense or like can, can i find signs as to how this is gonna happen right so i would say become an expert on your partner and be curious about your partner like what does it look like when when my partner is avoidant? What do they do? Um, stop making it about you and just explore it almost like a, as if you were doing like a observational study, right? Like study your partner uh, and make like a little, almost like a booklet of uh, your partner. What, what does my partner do under stress? What do they, how do they respond, right? Um, so that you can understand and get to know your partner a little bit because if you can catch them before they go into that fight flight freeze mode then that's really helpful um i'll start posting some of that on my on my profile and people can get some tips from that and how to do share locking but that's really helpful i also think learning co-regulation together is really helpful and something as simple as I guess I'll, I'll really quickly before we go go into co-regulation. So co-regulation is as humans, we actually have the ability to um, to into um, change each other's nervous systems, right? And and impact each other's nervous systems. So um, anything that is eye to eye, face to face, skin to skin contact uh, will help each other soothe. Um, each other and so you might notice that if you're looking eye to eye at each other you can actually like you'll start breathing together you may feel calmer um, it's almost like a relaxation that you can do together um, so we are the as far as we know we are the only animals that are able to co-regulate and so that means that I can influence you and make you more anxious or I can make you more calm too, right? <laughs> um, and so I would encourage couples to spend two minutes gazing into each other's eyes. Um, it, a lot of people have problems with uh, with actual eye contact. So if, if this is you or your partner, I would maybe do some like, we could sit across from each other and just like do some deep breathing exercises together without looking into each other, just gazing away. Um, you could also touch hands like like this together and just close your eyes um, and just practicing like regulating together um, because that can really help in moments of conflict. So ideally couples would use this uh, when they see that one of them is dysregulated, which is not very easy to do. No, I tried. Um, I try. I still try. And it's, it's a little awkward when you first do it, but I, I have finally gotten to the point where sometimes it works so um because the other person has to be willing to want to do it too and not yeah. feel because like it can work the opposite way so if like that person's like really feeling awkward and anxious about doing it then that nervous system response is going back to you as well so it, it almost takes both partners to be non-judgmental about this and like yeah. let go of the judgment let go of the expectation and just just be and that's hard. That's easier said than done. So practice for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you, Patricia. This uh, was amazing. Uh, where can people find you and learn more about your work? 
uh, I guess you can find me at, on Instagram, TikTok at Patricia Lamas Therapy. And you can also reach out to me on my website, patricialamastherapy.com. I do offer therapy uh, for couples and individuals in California and hopefully soon to come some workshops. Amazing. We will definitely link those links in our show notes for the podcast to make it easier to find you. And of course, on our social media. Um, but before we close out the episode, we always finish it off with a dear mind. And for this one, I kind of thought, dear mind, you don't need to change your attachment style and you don't need to change who you are. You just need to learn to understand yourself and your partner. And we'll do that together slowly in our own time. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family and remember to leave us a review. We love reading your comments. Take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to along with your thoughts and share it to your story and tag us so we can reshare it to our story. And be sure to follow us on social media at mind.fully.healing on Instagram at mindfullyhealing on YouTube and on TikTok at mindfully.healing. Until next time.